Yeah, I'll show all things dentistry and you're doing the drive. And um, it's very interesting to know that your dental assistant and her buddy are listening to your podcast. They are the three people, they are the two people plus myself who listen to these podcasts, but that's okay because uh, I love it. So anyways, <laughs> the last two days were pretty darn interesting days. And last night, uh, I'll start with, I can't remember what I did during the day, but last night was extremely interesting because I had a 38-year-old autistic uh, patient who has this tooth, I, I talked about it before, uh, I believe has this, uh, the radicular cyst or some sort of apical granuloma secondary to a necrotic tooth, mandibular second left molar, which has now been elevated and she's only biting on that one tooth for the last like six months and it's crazy. So we, uh, we, we've elected to do the endodontic therapy on that tooth. And I'll tell you, it was interesting. I had a great opportunity to learn um, some of the management principles of uh, this level of different types of autism because uh, I never really had an appreciation for that. So she was very, she's extremely high functioning and very, very smart. And she knows like a lot of stuff. And she tells me a lot of stuff. And it's actually, I just, we were talking about work uh, work hardening of metals uh, just before we started. I couldn't believe it. We were talking about that. And then, uh, so she got in the chair and she had taken, um, she had some anxiety. So she has a benzodiazepine tolerance. So she had uh, eight milligrams of Ativan and she was still like wide awake. And uh, she felt just tired. Uh, she uses uh, benzodiazepines to sleep. So we started, but which, what was very interesting is that I had a really difficult time trying to give her a mandibular block because it was activating her gag reflex uh, because she said she's a very high sensory uh, input. So because it was necrotic, uh, what I elected to do was just uh, numb the local, anesthetize the, lo the gingiva around for the clamp and then give her actually an interligamentary, so a PDL with the PDL injector gun. And then we were able to start and we put the rubber dam on with the clamp and then she started gagging again. So at this point I'm thinking, oh, it actually had access to tooth and then she started gagging and I thought, oh man, was this really the best idea? But we sat her up and she was able to take a breath. <clears throat> she was listening to her audiobook, and then we put the rubber dam back on and the appointment went flawless. It was absolutely incredible. I was super impressed, like absolutely super grateful she was able to hold on. It was for half an hour. I told her 20 minutes, but I lied. It was 20, you know, all things dentistry, it's always, in all things dentistry, it's always like, uh, give me five minutes and like an hour later. We all know what that means. Uh, so we did the pulpectomy and then what I did was I placed calcium hydroxide and we're just gonna follow up in six months, place some uh, cavit. And what I did, what, interestingly, I've been thinking about this was to spin down calcium hydroxide so rather than taking a hand file and placing it down there just turn your handpiece in reverse and spin it down that way and what and it works like a charm <clears throat> so with wave one gold because i use a primary it cuts in the reverse action what i did was i just turned it on to vortex blue setting on the box and it'll spin forward so it doesn't cut and i just spun calcium hydroxide down and uh, normally I would take a radiograph, especially with a 4.7 to make sure we weren't around the inferior alveolar nerve, but um, she is a huge gagger and I wasn't about to take another pano on her. 
Uh, so we'll, we left it at that. And then the next patient actually was another really nice guy, Alan, 35-year-old male with three kids, a couple and two in hockey. He's a dad, hockey coach, teacher, and it's a lot of periodontal disease. Ironically, I don't understand it still. <clears throat> and he has decay underneath his restorations. And I actually think it's from food impaction. We were talking today, we had the Nobel, uh, Nobel, or Nobel BioCare rep in to teach us, do some training on the new restorative things, like this thing called TyBase, and this uh, on one new uh, protocol that I'm gonna actually put a video on YouTube. I cut some video just on the tabletop, um, just to remind myself how to do it, but also for Angela, so she knows the parts too, because we're gonna, Angela, we're gonna start doing the all, all one thing uh, when we place implants. But it takes, and I never really understood this, taking, making, when you place an implant and you place a healing abutment on it, then you take an impression after you, you know, you take the healing abutment off, you take an impression, that's a, an implant level impression or bone level. There are other implants then you, you place and they have a tissue level uh, impression. And that's what this on one thing is making Nobel Biocare into a, a tissue, tissue level impression. And I don't know if it's gonna make any difference, but it actually makes sense to me, but that's my opinion. So we had some training on that, but going back to, uh, so having open contacts, and I'm starting to see this more often with implants, you're gonna get open contacts. And a buddy of mine, one of our captains, Lucas, had mentioned, had seen, watched Tarnell lecture and talking about why are we getting open contacts with implants? And it really, I think it comes down to the mesial shifting, drifting, and getting food impacted between the implant and the natural teeth. And then, you know, over a period of years, several years, you're getting a significant amount of decay. Because it's food impaction, you know, you think you have like, say, pulled pork and there's sugar in pulled pork. You get it in your teeth, you don't get it everywhere. And then you, you're like, oh, you floss it out or you don't, I don't even floss. I think it's a waste of time. But anyways, for people who need to floss or like to floss or swear by flossing, they'll floss. But I think in, with implants, you need to because this food is getting impacted there. You don't even know it's impacted. And then the sugar builds up. Over time, you get demineralization of the enamel and you know the carious process. So talking about this patient back to Alan he has perio disease and I think what's happened is that he's getting food impacted between these his five and six so he's got underneath these restorations got this huge carious lesions uh, so we did an, a root canal on the, the one five the second maxillary bicuspid uh, it was a two to one so two orifices one portal of exit and then what we did was did a didn't this is like the rare time I've done this uh, with this clinic is we done we did a an ML restoration and we did an indirect pulp cap to try to preserve that dentin and not that pulp not have to do root canal on it because he was having severe sensitivity and we think it's from the five. So I'm gonna call him today, see how he's doing after uh, we did the root canal. It went pretty smooth, I'm super happy about that. And then uh, the last patient was an 82 year old patient who reported having pain to her maxillary Le right side, I'm actually left uh, just yesterday, but actually when I talked to her, and it was about eight o'clock last night, she had pain for the last two weeks and it wasn't that bad. And honestly, it was so calcified. I just sent her, I referred her to my friend, John. John Odai is this incredible endodontist and he can tackle that one. I can't do, that would take me like three appointments if I even got down to the apex. So that was last night, and then today was really special because today was my first composite onlay after 
all composite restoration only after a two uh, maxillary left uh, molar <clears throat> so this is a cracked tooth irreversibly inflamed and we you could see the crack actually in the microscope and now I have a screen so the patient can actually see the crack while we're doing it so remove the most of the restorations a huge MOD restoration uh, got into the pulp and actually this is a great example of trust your apex locator because this because it's vital and this case was knocking on the sinus door I kept it a millimeter short and it looks super short on the radiograph but I know in my heart it's only a millimeter short from the apical constriction so we got MB2 we got everything clean and shaped turned out perfect and then we placed this huge honking uh, MODBLI composite using garrison rings and I actually really enjoy doing that because the beauty is that now we have a protected tooth after a root canal and this patient whether we elect to give her a crown or she doesn't want to do a crown she's ready for a crown or she might be able to go two to five years with the way it is this onlay so that worked out really well uh, no other place of amalgam MODBLI amalgam onlay uh, but it's in the pretty much in the aesthetic zone and I don't think she would really appreciate that and the final case today before we had our training this afternoon was uh, a c-shaped canal and we were able to show uh, show the patient actually show Angela kind of using the passive ultrasonic irrigation or activation anyways so because this was c-shaped and I've been burned by c-shaped canals before they were I did a necrotic case and it just did not didn't pass a test it became it was necrotic and then we got a lesion and now it's I think we're just gonna extract it uh, but so in this case it was a vital case it was cracked irreversibly inflamed we did the pulpectomy and I elected to place calcium hydroxide in there to dissolve some of the some of that vital tissue so when we go back to finish it it's easy to flush out it's easier to flush all that material out of there so we got back in the patient was asymptomatic once we did the pulpectomy which is great it means we've got all the stuff uh, and then we you know use full strength hypochlorite open it up to a, uh, a primary in both canals. I wasn't able to achieve patency in the mesial, mesial canal, and I'm not too worried about that because it is a vital case, but I was able to get patency in the distal canal, which is a huge smiley face, and we activated the heck out of it with ultrasonics and actually debrided some of the, uh, try to get into some of those fins with the, the ultrasonic as well. So, and in this case, I used a thermoplastic Obturation technique, I haven't done that for five years. So we used a BC sealer with uh, placed my cones and then we did about, you know, did we uh, packed down to five millimeters from the apex and then from the apical constriction and then backfilled with warm gutter perch. And I did that specifically to see if I could get that kind of, um, what's it called, the uh, kind of a veil of warm gutter percha but also sealer in where the, the fins are. Uh, in the in the tooth so we tried that technique I think it turned out great and the real test will be when we see this recall this patient in a year and see if he has a lesion or if it becomes symptomatic so that was fantastic uh, I was super excited about that case and I'm very grateful for Angela because she just knows how to set up everything and the cases fly by like amazing I love it and her friend Nicole is actually a great tag along too and that's my punch out to her or uh, yeah, just saying hi. Hey, how's it going? 
Uh, and then in the afternoon, we had the uh, Nobel Biocare rep in to talk about restoring implants. We strictly use only Nobel implants, which can be actually fairly confusing and quite expensive, to be honest. But it is what it is. Uh, there are a lot of components. I don't think uh, I would use this brand if I wasn't in this institution. But um, they do have a lot of choices. So we learned about restoring uh, the On One, this new uh, thing that they're coming out with, like I was talking about earlier, tissue level impressions, uh, but then also using the tie base, which is a titanium. Essentially, it's a stock, a stock, uh, stock abutment that you can have zirconia or an Emax crown looted to, and then with a titanium abutment. So that worked out really well, and then that's it. So pretty much, thank you so much for joining me to this point. I appreciate you joining me and listening to my ramblings. So. I hope you have a great weekend. Cheers. Hey, that's Cheryl Things Dentistry, and you're doing the drive. So it's been a great week. We're halfway through the week and doing what I love to do. So we did some root canals. We had a referral. I had no idea what the situation was, so I referred her off to my chief investigator friend, John O'Dai. And then we had some an external resorption. And of course, I really appreciate what Angela does. She is an excellent dental assistant, and I wish that everyone would have someone like her. And her friend, Nicole, is nice too. So Monday, if I can recall correctly, was a really straightforward day. The afternoon patient uh, was interesting because this lady, she's like probably about 55 years old, uh, gone through a number of life issues and she'd fractured on her upper first left premolar She'd fractured the mesial and distal boxes off and still had the little bit of occlusal amalgam in there for the last year and she'd just been kind of wandering around with For the last year without a filling in there and it's it's kind of bothered her for a little bit But not a big deal and then it started hurting so we saw her to do the uh, to do the root canal, and what's really interesting, I'm learning more and more and more that I see that open contacts or anywhere where food can get jammed in, there's a those teeth next to it start to decay. And now I have a better appreciation for open contacts because if people aren't flossing, I'm like the primary suspect because I hate flossing. But if they're flossing, if they're not flossing, they get food jammed in their teeth. There's a high probability of getting uh, recurrent decay around teeth. So we did her root canal. She had a not that significant amount of decay, thinking she had no restoration there for a year. Uh, but it was pretty straightforward. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then that night was really kind of interesting because I was referred a patient to do a root canal on tooth number one two, which is the first right maxillolateral incisor. Uh, it's calcified, and this lady had. She'd had trauma to her front teeth, oh gosh, 30 years ago. I think she was a softball. And so she, her front maxillary central incisors had crowns, had huge caspose cores. And then there's this apical lesion. And I'm like, mm, man. So we did our, you know, the beauty of doing a systematic diagnostic exam is that you can find things that, like, uh, it looks like this lesion is huge and I'll put it as the thumbnail. I mean, it's huge. And it looks like it's kind of centered around the lateral incisor, maxillary right lateral incisor. But when I did the, and of course, if you just do the cold test, that doesn't tell, I mean, it tells you that it's non, non-responding to cold. So I did 
all the anterior segment and not a lot of response to cold, but then I crack out the electric pulp test and boy, that tells you what is going on. So sure enough, I redo the, I crank up the little dial to like maximum performance because I find that if it's kind of slow, it's like ee, but if I hit it, if I put my pedal to the metal with the electric pulp test, we get some quick results. So, and these things aren't cheap. They're like a thousand bucks, I think, for this little thing. I don't even know why. You could probably just put a uh, put a cord into the socket and use that as an electric pulp test. Like, do you feel that? <laughs> Anyways, we tested her anterior segment, and sure enough, that tooth number one, two responds to electric pulp test and repeatedly. And it's not just because it's there's um, saliva doing sort of a positive. Uh, false positive, you know, using saliva, c conducting it to the gingiva because I dried the teeth really well. And sure enough, three times that bad boy responded to, to the electric pulp test. So I'm thinking I need to send this to my chief investigator in Ottawa, which is uh, John O'Dia, Capital Endo. He's such an amazing guy. He's been doing this for 20 years, great friend of mine. And he's the reason why I love sending to him because he actually has a comb beam in his office and he's just, he's done my root canal, so I, I love him. And so rather than starting, I guess my point of the story is rather than starting something you don't know what to do, there is always that, you know, the, the punch out card where we're going to send it to her, send it to him and see, likely he'll take a 3D and then see what it is. Because I'm not sure this lesion, because it is, I forgot to mention, it is a chronic apical abscess, so it is draining. Uh, I'm not sure it's got anything to do with any of those teeth that are around there so the 3d will give us a much better image so then we pop into yesterday which is i really appreciate angela for this because <clears throat> and her friend nicole because the patient was supposed to do we were doing an external cervical uh resorption invasive resorption and this case is kind of like a either class three which is pretty invasive uh, patient is fully aware that he might lose his tooth and I'm, my buddy was going to do, Amir was going to do the restorative and the trichloroacetic acid burnout. So it was a mandibular left first, second premolar and I was looking at the periodical radiograph initially in my clinic, uh, we could try it but I mean that, that's a pretty big lesion but let's give it a shot. So a patient presented. And one of the questions, and I actually really appreciate Angela for asking this, and Amir, like, it's, okay, I'm gonna do the root canal, but is it gonna stop bleeding? This lesion, because the lesion is huge in there. And I was kind of like, uh, that's a really good point, because it's easy to do the endo, but it's hard to stop tissue from from, uh, from bleeding. So what I initially did was I started probing that um, little thing, and it's actually, if you look in the links, it's I actually put it up on my, uh, my blog, what a blog post. I want to video this because it's a really interesting case, but it's, it takes so much time to create these videos. So I'll just throw up some pictures on uh, the link below in my Medium blog post. And initially, as, as soon as I probe that invasive uh, external resorption site, it starts hemorrhaging like crazy. And I'm thinking, uh, okay, well, it's probably doing the endo is okay. I mean, doing the endo is pretty straightforward, but it's gonna get the stuff to stop bleeding. So. Just mentioned that Angela, can you have it? She thought it was gonna be surgical anyway, so it was I'm grateful she had all the surgery stuff out. So I flapped the resorptive site, and sure enough, once we cleaned it all out, there's it's really interesting because 
not only is it inflammatory resorption, so we're getting uh, resorption of the tooth, but we're also getting replacement resorption with bone. So it really is interesting. It's almost like a, it's like a glacier flowing out of this resorptive uh, lesion. So there's bone growing back into the tooth, and when you look at it under the scope, it's really hard to figure out what's tooth structure and what's bone, because it's really, really cool. I've never seen that before. And of course, the tooth was necrotic, so once we flap all that back, I'm kind of like, you know what, this tooth needs to go. We need to take this tooth out, because there's just no way we can get a, it's a really large lesion. There's no keratinized tissue. That's another issue for placing an implant. Because there's a new article talking in the journal Perio that if you have less than two millimeters of keratinized tissue, there's a problem. Maybe there's a probably an increase in um, periimplantitis or perimucositis, periimplant or implant mucositis. So we're gonna probably do a connective tissue graft on the site. Anyways, I'm jumping the gun here. So looking at this, I'm like, you know what? I call my buddy Amir over. I'm like, bro, we need to take this tooth out. The leash is too big. But the, so he was like, okay, that's fine. But the problem is, is that there's a huge laceration on this tooth. And I'm thinking this thing's gonna fall to pieces. So we reset for a surgical extraction. So I really appreciate Angela setting up for that. because She made it like my patient's uh, vehicle, a vehicle maintainer. So I explained to him, you know, you're gonna go in and change the engine, but then through the procedure, like, oh, we're just gonna take the doors off and put them back on. So it's a lot of, equipment to here and there and I'm grateful that she is like super efficient so we started to do the extraction and I put the I started elevating and that tooth is not moving and I'm thinking okay well I don't want to really want to suction this because it's got a huge laceration so what I thought I would do was um, remove some of that bone that's that creeping you know that big hand that's creeping into the absorptive uh, case and I'm not removing bone from the socket, I'm moving it actually like a crown prep, ridiculously, from the tooth itself. And sure enough, once we got rid of all that bone, that tooth essentially fell out of his mouth with forceps. Uh, so then we just bone grafted with some puros, cancellous and cortical bone, and then used this uh, ice cream cone membrane, packed that in there, and then we're gonna, and we sutured everything up. And the problem is now, like I explained to the patient, is that I've got a lot of not, it's a lot of free mucosa that's it's sutured in there, so he's got to be really careful so he doesn't talk a lot and eat on that side because we don't want terrible sutures. And then, likely, what we'll do is during implant placement, we'll I was going to talk uh, the periodontist and place some dermis under there just to kind of bulk up the uh, see if we can get some little more keratinized tissue or any bulked up tissue so we can decrease the probability of having peri implantitis. Uh, and then in the afternoon, I, uh, we had a great case, and of course, the mesial buckle on this mandibular first, mandibular first molar right side stops at 16 millimeters. So everything else went to length except for this mesial buckle group. And I'm just thinking to myself, I tried everything to get down that, and it would not go. So what I did was we played, oh, before that, but we placed uh, some calcium hydroxide and we'll reattack it at another later date. <clears throat> so it does happen to, I mean, I have Rarely does this happen, but tough to get down that music buckle canal. I mean, I tried every technique, 6, 8, 10. So then the last thing I'm going to talk about is don't place glass ionomer over non-carious pulp exposure. So one of our young dentists was trained to use resin glass ionomer over pulp exposures. 
and I think he was trained, I don't know. Anyways, this guy, this patient, had a large restoration uh, place a few weeks, I think a week ago, a non-curious pulp exposure, I'm not sure why he pulp exposed. And then, placed glass ionomer, and this guy, this patient came back with 15 out of 10 pain yesterday. So, this is one of those symptomatic irreversible pulpitis protocol, get out the kitchen sink to try to numb them up things. So the way I've been doing it and trained, but now I've taken it on my own a little bit, is I'll do a, uh, so this is the left mandibular first molar, gave him, block, gave him a block, make sure we got lip numbness. That doesn't mean we got pulpal anesthesia, but at least we got lip numbness, so it tells me that we've got around the area. And then I'm going to give him a PDL with the, intra, with the, with the PDL gun. And he was still responding to cold to that. Then I did the intraosseous, full carp, told, reminded him, or just told him that his heart's gonna start fluttering, or he's gonna have a racing, uh, he'll have palpitations, potentially a racing heart, and he did. Full carp of uh, Lido, it doesn't make a difference what you use. We use carbocane, but it, I mean, it doesn't make a difference. Still felt cold after that. I'm like, okay, well, you have a choice now. We can either, I told him we, had, we can either access the tooth, but you're gonna feel something until I get an intrapulpal, and I hate doing those, but we get an intrapulpal, or we can just stop now, and in literally in five days, this pain's gonna go away on its own. That tooth will die, and it'll, pain will calm down, and then we can fully anesthetize you. And usually what happens is they're like, no, I wanna, because he hasn't been sleeping for two days, like I wanna get this over with. So what I do now is, because it's a fairly open chamber, I'm gonna go straight down to the pulp with a, this is number four, and I made it almost all the way in before he was before he felt something. And then what I did was I took a slow number two round burr and popped into the into the pulp chamber. And he felt that. And I used a slow round because there's no cold. So cold is one of the instigators of his pain. So uh, the slow round is just vibration. And then once we popped in, he felt it. And it's a small little hole. So I used. Uh, local anesthesia. I used probably about three carps to try to. I mean, it's all coming. We're using pressure anesthesia now so place the irrigating or the needle the anesthetic tip into the pulp and try to like jam it into something to get some pressure and sure enough we're able to get uh, anesthesia and he was grateful for that use the uh, endo zebra got rid of all the pulpal tissue but then the distal canal would not stop hemorrhaging I mean it would just keep going in my experience has been that um, if it keeps hemorrhaging, if I'm going to do a regular pulpotomy, that doesn't work uh, because it's irreversibly inflamed. So I elected to try to get all that just the pulp tissue. But the problem is, is that once you start poking around, you want to finish the case. <laughs> so grateful for Angela, she said, uh, and I apologize because I think I looked up and I said, what? And I didn't, I didn't mean it at all. Kind of, I should have said, okay, I'm almost done. Uh, but she had a great idea, like, okay, let the, uh, let the other dentist finish her case and come and start your other root canal. So uh, I'm gonna call that patient today, see how the pulpotomy, so it was a pulpectomy in a distal canal and a pulpotomy in the meso canals and see how that worked uh, because that's a quick way to get the patient out of pain. And I'm at work and I rambled on for quite a long time. So I really appreciate you making it to this time. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers.